We're coaches united, ain't got time to be divided Won't you get excited, cause in the end you'll be delighted That you took a listen to the voices that you hear Cause it's evident, ain't no division in here Cause we're coaches united, ain't got time to be divided Won't you get excited, cause in the end you'll be delighted That you took a listen to the voices that you hear Cause it's evident, ain't no division in here, see? We wanna thank you for tuning in to the Coaches United Podcast A podcast that has everyone in mind Where everyone's differences are embraced and celebrated. Where we see you, we hear you, and most importantly, we stand with you. What matters to you, matters to us. Este podcast is para toda mi gente. Ahora más que nunca, debemos estar unidos. Y cuando estamos unidos, somos más fuertes. Gracias por estar aquí con nosotros. Las culturas unidas jamás serán vencidas. Welcome back to the Cultures United podcast. We've taken a bit of a rest break, but we are back and in full swing again on December 15th. Uh, also, I am here with Mr. B. Yo, yo. What's good, family? Man, I miss y'all, yo. Hope y'all good. And you have Gemma speaking as usual. And uh, Sebastian is not here today, but he'll be popping back in on the next episode. We're super fortunate to welcome Gabrielle Lake to the Cultures United family as well today. Um, she is a writer, entrepreneur, and founder of an online magazine called Carnosa. And uh, our, our topic today is a bit of a broader topic. Um, we're talking about men's mental health and collaborative connection uh, and kind of going through a bit of like, what, what does that mean? Um, what's Gabrielle's experience with that? And also connecting um, the visual and verbal experience of, of connecting to other people and building a community. So yeah, we're very excited. And I guess we'll start off with the first question directed at Gabrielle. You could tell the, the listeners a bit more about yourself, both personally and professionally, what you're doing now and what your aspirations are. Sure, well, thank you for having me. Um, my name is Gabrielle and I'm originally from Nova Scotia in Eastern Canada. Um, I'm a writer, kind of self-proclaimed, but I, I'm currently working on an autobiography, a poetry book, and I run an online magazine, as you mentioned. Um, And my online magazine focuses on wellness and sustainability. So I write articles that range from mental health um, to sustainable fashion. And I interview independent business owners and artists as well. So that's pretty much what I do. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's dope, man. And and we appreciate you being here tonight, spending a little time with us uh, to talk about something that's very important in our societies today, man. Uh, mental health, you know what I mean? And, and during the pandemic, everybody's dealt with it in their own ways, but it's certainly impacted, you know, as an educator, the audience out there knows, the Cultures United family knows that I'm a teacher and I see how, you know, most people wouldn't consider it a traumatic experience, right? Um, but it, it has really been a traumatic experience, right? And so when you think about mental health, um, the variance might be a little different for men um, and women, but 
it's important to have that conversation about it. But I, I just want to touch on what you said, self-proclaimed, right? And again, the listeners know one thing about myself, Gemma and Sebastian, like we, you know, if you don't believe it, who's going to believe it, right? So yeah, be that proclaimed, you know, author, you know, be that proclaimed, you know, orator, speaker, because if you don't believe it, who's going to believe it, right? And so I just believe in the inspiration of your, your self-belief, right? Like you have to see yourself doing it. You have to see yourself being it because if you don't, who will, right? So Gabrielle, thank you for saying that because I wrote that down, self-proclaimed and keep proclaiming it to yourself because it's manifesting because you're here with us tonight. So thank you for that. Um, so from your perspective, right? From your expertise and your knowledge of understanding, you know, just how, how about how about we do this? How about you just tell us a little bit about your um, your genre of writing, right? Like what what do you enjoy sitting down doing and writing about the most? The most? That's a good question. I guess my favorite thing to write is poetry. So a lot of my writing is very artistic and creative and I like using color a lot and emotion and making a lot of imagery with my writing. So I think mostly poetry is what I enjoy okay. the most. Okay. And and so, you know, so paralleling that, right? Like, because I always tell my scholars, like, you know, when you think about writing, right, it's a form of expression, right? Like you, you're able to express yourself through your writing, right? In various ways, as long as you express. And so when you think about like mental health, would would you suggest that people that might be experiencing some internal turmoil um, write poetry or ex you know do creative expression like you just mentioned? What would you say to someone who's you know having these concerns uh, about how poetry has helped you? Mm, I think everyone has their own way of expressing their emotions in different forms help different people so mm, for mm. me I really like writing but another person it might be music or sculpting or even doing sports <laughs> I guess so I think there's so many ways to deal with your emotions or work through your emotions and mm. it's worth trying a lot of different things to figure out which works the best for each person yeah mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's, that's real. And, you know, and I, I know you, I heard you mention exercise too, but we, when we think about the brain, right? Like I appreciate that you say, well, there's various ways, right? It's not just one form, but poetry has, has happens to be your form. So when you write your poetry, do you, do you just write, do you do free form? Is it just whatever comes to mind or do you have like a rhyme scheme? What, how do you, how do you write in particular? Uh, most of the time, I'm just walking outside and write a lot of notes on my phone. Mm -hmm. okay. <laughs> so that's what I do a lot. Um, I also just spent two months in Greece. So the poetry book I'm working on is more haiku based on the nature that oh. I saw and experienced there. So that's kind of a different form. I'm, that's very new to me. Yeah. But I'm enjoying it a lot. Well, that's dope. Um, and again, I am I am one that you know, expresses like every word, like when I write my raps, you know what I mean? I'm not a rapper, I'm a poet that writes over beats, right? And so every word has to mean something, like every line, every intro 
every aspect of what the words are saying and how they're connecting has to have meaning because words have life. They have power. They can build you up or they can tear you down. And so when you think about like, when I have my scholars write, you know, tell me how you're feeling, right? I want them to really take ownership of the words that they're writing down when they're expressing their feelings. Because when, you, when you're able to do that, you're able to think about it and see yourself in another space and like, man, that really impacted me because it made me angry. It made, it infuriated me. It made me want to do this or that, right? And so I think, you know, haiku, like various forms of poetry um, are amazing, but it's really how you put your words and what words you're using. Um, and so I, again, like hopefully when your book comes out, you know, people uh, appreciate, you know, the beauty within every word. Um, so I'll be looking forward to, you know, learning more about your poetry book as uh, it grows and becomes, you know, comes to fruition. Mm -hmm. What do you have to say about that, Gemma? Yeah, I just wanted to say too, I'm, I'm also really excited for lots of different reasons. And I admired that you took something like a haiku that you're not as experienced with and you chose that medium to describe a place that was quite new to you. Um, and I like the way that you articulate that growth and opportunity and um, self-reflection and always challenging yourself on your magazine as well. I think that's really well articulated both visually and verbally. And I think that, um, yeah, I'm excited to see what you come up with. I think that's gonna be a great journey for you and for anyone who reads it as well. Um, yeah, leading into that too, I wanted to ask a bit more about your magazine and, and how you feel like you incorporate mental health onto that medium. Uh, yeah, so, Personally, I've gone to therapy for many years to improve my own mental health and reading about psychology in relation to relationships or my own behaviors has been like become a really big passion of mine. So when I do writing for my magazine, I try to write about topics that have affected me in the past or have affected people I care about or when friends or family tell me about things that they're dealing with I sometimes write an article to try to help with that topic because I can see that other people may be also suffering with this topic or, and yeah. yeah I always try to give some kind of teaching <laughs> I guess in a positive light with my writing mm -hmm. yeah um so real quick can you can you um give a shout out to your like where can we find um your magazine or your is it a blog or is it a, you know what is the what is the setup for that and how can we find that yeah so it's actually an online magazine so it's not published and it's at carnosa.com and I also on Instagram it's just carnosa so it's c-a-a-r-n-o-s-a -A -A so those are both the ways that you can find it all right good so we'll definitely um, make sure that that gets out once again at the end. Uh, but I, I love how you said, right? Like, you know, because I think, well, maybe not so much now, and you can speak to this, Gabrielle, but um, there used to be a stigma. I know in, especially in the black community, right? That there's a stigma around therapy, right? Or the use of a therapist, but you spoke to like, yo, like 
I've been, you know, doing therapy and it's not a bad thing. My mental health matters to me. Right. And so I take that experience and I try to apply the psychology to, you know, because what you're learning in your own sessions, you try to apply that. And I, I just wrote down the word relevance, right? Like, how is this relatable? How are these experiences? Because if this person is dealing with it and then this person has this experience and this person has that, you know, it's relevant. If they're dealing with it, I'm pretty sure some other people are dealing with it as well. And so can you speak directly to how your personal journey with therapy has better served you to be the writer that you are regarding some topics on mental health? Yeah, sure. So I'm pretty open about this topic now, um, which I think has become very helpful to me because I am a girl that's always smiling and always laughing and people always say like, I must be happy all the time. And they see me as someone that's always smiling. But so then when I tell people that I've gone to therapy or I have had depression or I have anxiety sometimes, and people are always really surprised. And I think it's good to show that everyone deals with these things, mm. not everyone, but a lot of people. So I think I've been able to encourage a lot of people to go to therapy, all my friends and some of my male friends as well, which has been nice um, because there is definitely a stigma associated with therapy. And a lot of people think they need to have kind of a severe mental illness to go, but it's really not true. You can go for so many reasons, even if you're struggling with being jealous in your relationship or I don't know, having body issues, there's no issue that's too small. So I think therapy can really help anyone become a better version of themselves. And it's definitely helped me love myself more. So I usually try to recommend it to people all the time. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I also really, like I hadn't thought about therapy in that perspective where um, there's people don't feel like they're sick enough or that they really need it. But I've heard a lot of arguments too of like, oh, what's it gonna do for me? Like I work through these problems in my head or well, I just talked to like my friends about it. It's not a big deal. Um, and like different ways of working through it. And I think that a lot of people that I've talked to who don't want to go, it was usually like, ah, oh, like I, I already have a way of working through it. I don't need that tool, but um, I always like to think of it as it's not this or that it's like, you can, you can solve it and work through it in your own way. But therapy is a way of, um, like getting really getting into it and help someone helping you like transfer that experience into your life and learn from that in a different way. Um, and so when I, for example, work through something on my own, like you mentioned body issues, I've had a bit of a history with that and difficulty on that front. And I think there's different ways that I dealt with that, but what therapy helped me with was like using that in a different perspective and incorporating that experience into my life, I think. So I appreciate that you kind of touched on, you know, not being sick enough or not being this enough. Like it's a, it's an open resource for everybody, just like a swimming pool or just like a gym where you work on your physical health too. Um, super important to, to articulate that. Do you find that you've um, gotten feedback from your magazine or from, uh, from writing about it from people in a positive way? Yeah, definitely. And I guess I've been sharing more in-depth captions on my personal Instagram for a couple of years now about more mental health or even poetry about some of my past experiences. So 
I've been getting messages for a long time from people thanking me to, for sharing different topics and that they feel less alone. So that's been really nice connecting with people through social media that I don't personally know. And I think in that way, it kind of encouraged me to write more publicly or start my magazine, just seeing that I can touch people with my words and by being open about my own personal experiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think vulnerability is one of the most powerful and difficult things at the same time. And I know Mr. B has a lot to say about it too. Yeah, definitely, man. And, you know, I'm capturing, and I love what you said. It's a beautiful quote. There's no issue that's too small to be talked about, right? Like, Mm -hmm. because, you know, at the end of the day, it's all about perspective. And I love that Gemma tied that in um, because I was capturing that myself, like perspective. We're just having this conversation not to, you know, um, to put you in this place to make you think that something's wrong with you because that's always the thing. Well, something's wrong with me, so I need therapy. Like, no, let's just have a conversation about what is ailing you from a different perspective. So you can see, and then you can learn to embrace that. Like, I think that's the thing that we we are led astray by. Like, we don't want to embrace that. And that, that embracing leads to that transparency which leads to the understanding of, wow, this is how I've learned to cope with this. And here is how I learned to cope with it. So I'm better able to communicate regarding that because it, I, it's okay, right? And I think that's what I caption that as Gabrielle saying that, you know what? Because at the top of the question, she said, um, I'm able to speak to this issue now. I'm able to speak to this openly because she's learned to encapsulate all the beauty within that, what what most people might consider to be yucky, right? But it's beautiful because you know what? This is allowing me to make connections. Mm -hmm. And at the the end of the day, I think that's what, you know, just like Coaches United, we're all about making those connections, connecting people to a sense of like saying, man, you know what? I'm not in this thing alone. Wow, you dealt with that too? I thought I was the only one, right? But if we keep it to ourselves and we manage it in the in our own way, and we say, "Well, I don't I, I don't deal with that anymore," you know, that's not a part of who I am anymore. But it's just like, man, think about how many people you could really connect with, or open doors for connections to, just by speaking about it, right? Um. So again, Gabrielle, thank you for for that, uh, and I hope people caught that. There's no issue that's too small, right? Like whatever it might be get perspective on it. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, in, in, your, in your understanding of where you are, Gabrielle, we talk about men's mental health, right? Because usually, not all the time, but usually the male species of our human being, right? Uh, tends to be closed off. Like they have this sense of machismo where I don't need to talk about my feelings, yo. Like, not something I do, I just eat it, I deal with it. But then they express it in other forms. So in your understanding, um, you know, where you talk about different aspects of relationships or dealing with, you know, differences, can you speak to some of your understanding about men's mental health? Maybe provide, provide some insights to what you've gleaned from conversations? Yeah, so I think there's definitely a lot of, well, there's differences between male and female mental health. I think just on 
services provided or how society treats the subject, but really it's so similar how both feel about every problem, (laughs) I guess. So mostly in services, even when you look online, most shelters for domestic abuse, for example, are for females Mm -hmm. and a lot don't even accept men, but I know lots of men that have been domestically abused. Mm. And so that service is definitely lower for men. (laughs) And it's just very eye-opening when you start to look at these things. And I find speaking about female mental health is often a lot easier and more accepted Mm. because when you speak on male mental health, you can be faced with anger sometimes or told that women have it worse. But really, like, it's not true. Women don't have it worse in a lot of ways. And men do suffer more from suicide, for example. More men do commit suicide at a higher rate than women. But then men are not encouraged to speak about their problems. And I don't know, for example, one time I watched a documentary on male men's rights activism. Mm-hmm. Um, and I told a friend just that, that I watched the documentary and she told me that it was ridiculous without really asking me what it was about or wanting to know. Hmm. So I think a lot of the time men can feel like they don't want to speak about their problems because people will shut them down very quickly. Yeah. So I definitely see a big difference with that, I guess, the ability to speak on issues. And, and, you know, and, and what immediately comes to mind is, you know, like, um, the, I don't know if misogyny is, you know, that, that male, like I said earlier, the male, the male mantra of, you know, I'm a man, right? Like, but you just mentioned that, you know, statistically men commit suicide at higher rates than women do, but in society, uh, it's more, it's, it's frowned upon for a male to, you know, cry or to express their emotions or to say, you know, I'm being emotionally or even physically abused by my partner who happens to be female, right? Society will say, yo, what are you, you're not a man, right? And I think that alone, because there's not very, like you said, Gabrielle, there's not very many people having these conversations, right? But you know, again, just not to make this about me, but just to put me in an example, I don't care about crying in front of my students or showing my emotions and becoming impassioned on a particular topic. And where I show that I let I'm vulnerable, right? I'm I'm risking that, you know, stigma of not being a man, like man, I suppose to cry, like you're not tough or you know, you're even too feminine, right? But I've always carried that as it's better out than in, and I'm not gonna implode on myself. And I think that's why, because they feel like they can't, like you said, the statistics, the statistics around not being turned, being turned away from a shelter that's supposed to provide a service for domestic violence abuse, mm-hmm. right? What, what else can I do? I have no other choice but to turn it on myself. So what would you, how would you advise, right? A a young man or a man, an older man, or just a a male in general, 
on how to um, circumvent or navigate those discrepancies that you just spoke to? How would you advise them? It's definitely a very big question. <laughs> mm. um, I guess even like before you started speaking, you said not to make this about me, which I mm. find interesting because I think a lot of men before saying your feelings, you can say the same kind of statements or not to say I have it worse or <laughs> not to say I'm suffering more than you or kind of those statements, not mm. to make this about me. So I guess I would say, make it about you. <laughs> <laughs> I guess to men, like your feelings are just as important as anyone's. And it is about you because your life is your story and how you feel really matters. Mm -hmm. Wow, man, that was so dope right there, dude. Like you just stopped me in my tracks, but you know, <laughs> no, because you're right. But you know, this is Gabrielle's, you know, session. This is your this is about you. So when I say that, not to make it about me, I didn't want to take the take the the attention away from our special guest. And so that's why I preface that with that. But generally, I'm like, yo, this is how I feel. You know what I mean? I'm not afraid to express myself. And I don't care what people say or what people have to say about it because I'm, I'm, this is who I am. Because experiences shape your reality, right? And when you think about like, man, the experience of you know, somebody telling me as a man that, yo, man, my girl, she be smacking me, yo, and I don't know what to do about it. And I'm just like, yo, okay, well, let's talk about this. Like what, I wouldn't say, you know, well, what did you do? Like most people might say to a female, well, what did you do to deserve that? Like, what did you bring to the table? You know, I'm like, yo, okay, give me perspective, right? Because it doesn't matter, male or female, no one should be getting put, you know, hit by any means. And so like, yes, I agree. Make it about you. Figure out ways. Oh, wait. What happened? Oh, okay. I don't know what's going on my computer. But anyway, <laughs> that's going to be edited out. I'm sorry. Like, I'm just, I, I had a panic attack. Can <laughs> see. So, yeah. Anyway, um, yes. I, yes. I appreciate that perspective, Mr. B. I mm -hmm. like had like three aha moments in a row or something there. It was very interesting because I have definitely heard men talk about their emotions in that way, like um, having those prefaces before. Um, I've also heard women talk about it. So I would say that's a similarity but maybe same as the suicide at the rate it happens with men might be more than with women um but i find when i put myself in that position and i say those kind of things it is like having that separatism from from the subject to say i this isn't about me or like in this hypothetical situation or um if i was to be really sad like separates you from that and i think in a way it's easier to talk about and then in another way it's harder to work through because you don't get into that attachment mode where you're really working through your emotions you're working through an objective concept or like a hypothetical um so yeah i just thought that was a super interesting uh, perspective because it's super hard to talk about that kind of stuff and i hadn't even thought about the accessibility of different resources too uh, yeah, yeah that's, that's heavy that's heavy. I definitely see it like 
even with body positivity, um, I feel like men have been missed from this movement often, especially when I try to find content for my magazine and I'm searching for images and I feel like there's so much around women's body positivity, but then there's not a lot of images for male body positivity. Or even when I search words like, or phrases like women laughing, there's tons of photos of women laughing. And when I search men laughing, there's like 10 or something. Like it's so hard to find pictures of men showing emotion. And I find like that even says a lot to me. Yeah. And, and, you know, you spoke to your marketing experience, right? And, and I think again, right, like you probably had a marketing 101 course where it, it says what's appealing to the eye, right? What's going to catch, what's going to, and usually in our society today, it's the beauty of, you know, the body or the appearance of a female, right? Mm-hmm. Now, occasionally you might have this really attractive muscle built man, you know, on a picture, but usually it's a woman um, in something that's revealing and inviting, right? And so when you think about like those perspectives from a marketing viewpoint, um, what would you say, do you, do you agree or disagree that that's a marketing um, gimmick? To show more female body positivity? Yes, yeah, so to, to show that, to say that, you know, hey, this is appealing. We want to make sure that we target, you know, this particular audience because if we show, or even if we talk about it, because it goes again back to that masculinity and the stigma around male dominance, if you will, in certain arenas, you're, you're going to see less of that. Like when you think about, you know, gym advertisements or, you know, just different clothing lines, you don't necessarily see, you know, or hear topics about, you know, male body, like that. What is that thing that's called the dad bod or something like that? Like, <laughs> right. Like thinking about these particular topics, they're non-existent because a man is supposed to be muscled or masculine and, you know, have this particular appearance because that's going to lead to the mental component of strength. Right. You very seldom see, you know, a woman that is, like in charge of her body where she's like, yo, I want to work out not for this, this look, but just because of my health, right? Like you, you don't necessarily see that. So when you think about the marketing aspects, why is it easier to find women uh, showing emotion than it is for men? It's a good question. I, I don't know why, but I'm thinking about like a specific situation right now. And I'm thinking about women's body positivity and like a dove campaign where they did a lot of body positivity towards women. Mm-hmm. And it is interesting because like the company that owns Dove also owns Axe and does a lot of like advertising of men with like women clinging to their bodies and all muscles and things. So mm-hmm. I think it's definitely interesting when you think about marketing and think about the people that are behind it and how they are trying to influence us in different ways. Yeah. Um, so there's definitely a lot of psychology at play behind the scenes of that. But mm-hmm. I definitely think men would like to see more diversity in advertisements on male bodies and not feel pressure to always be muscular because most aren't incredibly yeah. muscular. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. yeah, I'm just thinking about that in terms of like 
now I'm on the visual aspect of all of this, but um, if you have women, they could be thick, they can be curvy, they can be slim or fit or all there's like, I feel like there's so many adjectives that can be used to like positively describe a female body, but usually for men, from what I've understood um, is like always muscular or he's toned or all these things, but it's never usually like curvy men or I don't know, like my dad used to, my brother was like tall and just like gangly. So, so I don't know. I just, I don't feel like there's more enough variances in ways that you can describe a male body versus a woman. And there's different types of women and all these things. And um, anyways, I got off on a bit of a tangent, but I also wanted to point out too, like the contrast between crying and not crying, because if you look at someone at a one month period and someone who doesn't cry the whole month is someone who does an average once a week, you know, who would people say socially is more emotionally stable or doing better with their health? You know, maybe the person who's crying is happier more of the time because they're like releasing something, they're dealing with their emotions. Whereas like someone who doesn't cry the whole month, you know, they might seem more stable and holding it together, but, um, you know, experiencing something internally that, uh, is being pushed down. Um, I think that I wanted to quote your article as well, The Emotional Paradox of Men on Carnosa, when you said, um, breaking down the barriers of emotion and now I'm synonymous with weakness instead of strength. And I found that really interesting because um, I think that's very true. Once like a breakdown or being emotional or crying is definitely more connoted with being weak or letting yourself go or all of these kind of things. Um, how, how do you use words in your magazine to kind of change that perspective? To change the perspective of what? Sorry. Um, sorry. <laughs> like being, <laughs> being vulnerable is not, not weak, but more of a strong or an active um, like confidence or self-fulfillment. Mm. <laughs> Good question. <laughs> um, I try to ch share a lot of my own personal antidotes, I guess, when I do writing. And I just always try to encourage through my writing that being able to speak about things or express yourself is a positive thing. And you don't have to be, I don't want to use that word. I was going to say strong. <laughs> See, it's in my vocabulary even when I go to speak but I think in general a lot in our western society and working people will always tell us that you can't be emotional to be successful in different industries uh, I used to work in fashion and I was always told that like to make it in fashion you have to kind of be emotionless but I really don't think this is true and I think a lot of people hide their emotions a lot and it's very unhealthy <laughs> so I always try to encourage like a healthy way about going about things and I really believe that showing emotion is stronger than hiding it within yeah um and and thank you for expressing that Gabrielle because I I think it's important right like and I tell my scholars right now that they're going through this metamorphosis uh, where their brains are developing into what they were going to, they, they will be as an adult, as a young adult. And so um, where would you say, 
is there a line, I should say, as the question, is there a line between being, you know, healthily releasing your emotions or overly emotional? Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I would say that how you feel emotion, emotionally and how you express yourself or you feel you need to show emotion is the right amount of emotion you need to show. I think there's not too much emotion or too little emotion and it's a very personal thing. So no one can really tell you you're not being emotional enough or too emotional. I think it should come from you. And if you feel good showing that much emotion or showing less emotion and what makes you feel happy and good with yourself. And if you do feel like you are feeling too emotional, then you can decide what you want to do about that or how you want to grow around that. But I think there's no correct measurement that anyone can tell another person, I guess. No, and, and I appreciate that because I, I use that same thing uh, with my scholars. I'm like, okay, that, that's yours. Yo. Like, can nobody ever tell you how to feel about a certain thing? But I'm going to say this, and I say, but because it's not, it's what you did with that emotion, right? Like you didn't harness that into a way and to channel it in a way that was conducive for you being successful in that moment. You, you harnessed it in a way that got you to this place where now you have a consequence, right? And so a lot of times, like, it's okay to express the emotion, but when, when it leads to like, let's say anger, anger is a natural emotion, right? You're, you're, you become angry in that, you know, disequilibrium where you, you're in the stem form of your brain where you're fight, flight, or freeze, right? And so you're in that state of, now I need to respond in this way, this way because this is how I'm feeling. But when you harm someone or, you know, you, you abuse someone or you verbally, right? Like now there's consequences for that expression of emotion. So yes, I totally agree with the fact that you said, hey, there's never too much or too little, but I always say to my scholars, it's not the emotion, it's what you did with it, mm-hmm. right? Like if it led you to this place where you're receiving consequences for your actions, now that just compounded it. But if you feel that you need to just cry and you need to you know, count to 25 before you express yourself, by all means, work on some strategies so in that same vein, Gabriel, and I'm, you know, I'm just calling you doctor right now because, you know, that's what I see you as. But when you think about like everything that you just said, the conversation that I just mentioned, um, how would you advise someone on their, their expression of their emotions and how could they give us some strategies on how would you advise a male or a female or anyone in particular around healthily expressing their emotions without uh, causing further harm? Yeah. Um, I think most of us don't realize how negative our behaviors or expressions are sometimes unless they do give us a very big negative consequence in personal experience or what I see with friends. So sometimes the biggest wake up call can be a negative consequence for Mm. people to grow. I think Mm. it's really hard for us to identify behaviors in ourselves that should change before they do affect something in our lives. Mm. So I think it's more important to see anger as 
more of a cover for sadness or other emotions and try to make other people feel more loved, I guess, that we see in our lives or try to look at them as someone that might be hurt rather than someone that's trying to be malicious or evil. But I think personally, it is hard to identify those things before they affect something, unfortunately. Yeah, man, I, I love that perspective, Dr. Gabrielle. I love that perspective. <laughs> no, that's real. That No, that's real. You're just having a real conversation, man. And I appreciate that because it's a mask, right? Like, you know, when a scholar, uh, and I think about the youth perspective because that's where I'm at, right? That's my life. And I think about like, man, what are you really conveying to me right now through that expression of this emotion, right? What are you telling me without telling me? And so sometimes... You know, and I'm not learned in psychology. I study and I try to read so I can have a better understanding of what my scholars bring into the table. But really, like, understanding their perspective and why are they expressing that? What I always like to ask the question simply, what happened? Like, where was there a disconnect? And so in your, and, and, and you know, we'll be moving on in just a minute, but in your therapy sessions, Right. Has it been revealing to you like a safe opening for the things that you just mentioned, like that covering? So can you speak to some of the things that you personally had aha moments about in your sessions? Um, I never have been angry, really. <laughs> like I'm not a mad person. So maybe my aha moments were a little different, I guess, with emotion. Most mm-hmm. of my aha moments were kind of just seeing how I am in relationships or how I kind of push people away mm. as a defense mechanism and just mm. trying to become a better partner or, I don't know, happier in relationships and to feel more safe. So that's kind of what my experience was more of, I guess. And man, you know, and that's beautiful be- that you would say that like as a defense mechanism. So again, right, like my, you know, my question would be, okay, so what happened in your, in your formative years where you had to put up that wall, right, as a defense mechanism? Because, you know, when people start to get too close to Gabrielle, Gabrielle, you know, I, I use this analogy with my scholars, like a turtle, like you go inside of yourself. And as a result, you just, you, you maybe you're distant or you're there, but you're not there. And so that's very telling in itself that you would speak to that because, you like you say maybe you're not angry but you have a different defense mechanism you know um and so i i just appreciate that perspective because maybe that our listeners are going to listen to that and hear that like man okay yeah so what was it that made me put up this wall when you know someone's expressing their love to me or treating me in a certain way um that is not as foreign to me right uh so Man, all I can say is thank you for, you know, without going into detail about Gabrielle's, you know, <laughs> personal experiences, yeah. uh, thank, thank you for sharing that, you know what I mean? Because that's real. So thank you. Yeah, I think most people, um, when you identify a behavior in yourself that you don't like, you can usually trace it back to different past experiences that have happened to you or just certain things that people have said to you and you might be not aware of how something really affected you at the time and how it still affects you in the present. So I definitely think it is 
important sometimes to look back and unroot the causes. I love that. Uproot it, yo, uproot it. Because, you know, and Jimmy, I'm gonna let you speak, but I, I think for me, right, like, I tell my scholars that, man, my experiences in middle school, like, were the worst. I was bullied tremendously, like, six years straight, I was bullied, right? But then I just had this epiphany, like, this outer body experience, you know, going into seventh grade, because from third grade to sixth grade, right? And I spent two years in third grade, I was held back, right? But being treated in that manner, you know, when I became a seventh grader, I just said, you know what, man, like, it's not you, yo, like, they see something in you that they admire, but they don't know how to express it, right? And from those negative experiences, I learned what compassion and empathy really looked like. And so I tell people, yo, like, if you've never experienced that heart-wrenching feeling, then you're not going to really understand what it's like to be compassionate, what it's like to be empathetic, what it's like, what it's like to show genuine compassion and concern at a non-surface level, right? And so when you think about like your experiences personally, I love how you said that, you know, people have like, it has to be that that consequential awakening for them to realize sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But I think for me, going through that formative years of my life, being treated the way I was treated by my peers, it didn't make me shy away. It made me reach out more, right? It made me love me first, understanding that, yo, I can't accept what they're saying to me as truth because I know that's not it. But I'm going to flip it and say, you know what, man, it's not me. So thank you for noticing me today. Thank you for calling those flaws in me out because that's going to allow me to embrace it even more. And so when I think about how I deal with my mental health, right? Like, of course, spiritually, I pray and I have conversations with my God that I believe in holistically. And I ask, okay, like, what is this? How is this supposed to better me? It's not supposed to break me down. It's supposed to build me in some way. So what am I supposed to learn from this experience, right? Um, and so I think the beauty of it is really coming to that realization. And do you think that when people come to that realization, do they grow, do they get better or do they stay stagnant? What, what would you say to that? I guess it depends on how it affects each person. So mm -hmm. some people might have a negative experience happen to them but they're so avoidant and closed off that they don't actually accept that it was a huge loss in their mm. life say mm. a negative consequence so I think it really depends on the person how they perceive what happened mm. and how they are I guess to see because some people are so avoidant like in the way that they do protect themselves that I don't think negative consequences could affect them as much as it could affect someone else, perhaps. And, and do you think, um, and Gemma spoke to this earlier about like the disconnect, right? Do you think it's because they just disassociate themselves with that experience or that trauma and they like shut that door and they never want to open it again? Like, what would you say like causes people to be, you know, like non, like, or maybe numb to a growth experience? Hmm. I think, say, like, someone has been hurt so much in their past or in their childhood 
by a parent, um, I think a lot of the times it's easier to shut off emotions or numb down emotions and become avoidant to deal with it and to stay healthy for oneself to protect oneself. So then when negative situations happen in the future, I think they can also try to deal with problems that same way. Mm. Yeah. I think it is harder for people that are avoidant to step out of that way of thinking. And I'm not like that, so I'm not really sure how people do step out of that very well. Yeah. Man. Gemma, what do you think? Yeah, I I I don't know what you, both of you have contributed really makes a lot of sense to me. And I appreciate you sharing your experience, Mr. B, where you just kind of decided it's all you're just pointing out something that I need to improve or, or things like that, where you changed your perspective so much that whatever impact other people's words or the external negativity might've had, you just were able to frame it not only to yourself, but to other people in a positive way. And I was also thinking about what Gabrielle was saying and having this turning point sometimes that people need to have. And that's like, in my experience, that's what I needed, I think, because looking back at one of the most challenging periods of my life, I don't think that had I gone back in time or had I done things differently that I wouldn't have gotten to that point. I think it would have just taken longer or um, required different circumstances. But mentally for me, I had this way of coping and processing the world um, that ended up having negative consequences. And I think that I always would have kept working towards that um, and kept that inside uh, if it didn't have like external um, expressions of negativity. And, and really I couldn't in that period deal with it. And I think it was a process of like, I don't even know, like understanding that it took me so long to get to the point that I wanted to be. And that point was so bad for me that I didn't even know how to get back there or forgot why I was going there in the first place. So I think having those moments as well had made me realize, you know, I don't want to keep going this way. I need to change my course. Um, and so it's super interesting, you know, different, different ways that people change that mentality. And I think ultimately it's a shift in perspective. Like, you've had this realization of, I can't keep doing the same thing. Something needs to change. And um, yeah, it's just super interesting how guided that can be by emotional expression or like initial emotional reactions too, and how that might come out as anger, but really it's like deeper sadness or confusion or like frustration or um, a need for belonging that really comes out in a different way than people intend it to. Yeah. Um, yeah, I also, in, in your article, again, um, you mentioned portrayal, pressure, and want, and I thought those were all really interesting ways um, to describe emotion, and you relate it to identity as well, and I wanted to ask you, like, what, what do you think of of these three aspects, what are the main determinants of those? Like, how do they come up in somebody's identity? And, you know, how might that connect to emotion and someone's emotional state or ways of dealing with that? Yeah, I think a lot of 
factors influence all of these. And I think the portrayal of men in general is dictated or influenced a lot by media. And it is changing more over time as we are becoming more open-minded as a generation and as a society. But even when you watch films or listen to music, you can see how men are perceived as more emotionless and the expectation on men to be the one with a level head compared to, say, female leads in movies and just not letting emotion get in the way of their actions. So I find the media or just culture in general has a big impact on the portrayal of men. And that gives pressure to men to act a certain way or behave a certain way as well. And I think in our society, or at least in Canada or the United States, a lot of teens, well, male teens, I think in friend groups are often told not to complain about getting hurt or physically or emotionally. They're just told to suck it up and not express it. So I think a lot of men can feel pressured to be silent in adulthood too. Yeah, I think those um, those are really true components. And, you know, when we think about like, it's, it's deeper than um, just going back to like portrayal and how that leads to pressure and how that pressure, you know, leads to uh, men in society um, being stigmatized in certain aspects, uh, especially with their own mental health. You know, it's, it's unfortunate. Um, because again, working with youth, like I tell my boys all the time, I'm like, yo, dude, it's all right to cry, yo, like for real. You know what I mean? Because it's better out than in, you know, because you you hold on to it, you know, that your your, your body is going to form that in another way, you know, and it, it leads into, you know, sicknesses, right, within your body. And people don't really con- comprehend that, that connection of how I internalize, and I, I use this, you know, I use this with my scholars, so I teach in middle school, right? And so I say, yo, when you got a fart, yo, like, do you just hold it in? No, you, <laughs> you fart, right? So, because your body naturally has to release that. Try holding a fart in and see how you feel. So what's the difference between, no, I'm serious. I teach in middle school, right? So I have these conversations. So I'm like, try holding it in and see how you feel after you hold that in. The same thing applies to your emotions and your feelings, right? You suck it all in eventually it's going to do something to your body or you're going to vomit it out in such a way. Now you have to deal with the reaction to keeping that in. So why not just release it as soon as you feel it? There's nothing wrong with that releasing of it. But like you said, the portrayal is right. Like how many movies do we see? They, you know, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, because we had a, we had a conversation about, you know, homosexuality, this, how often do you see a man on screen or in a TV show actually expressing himself that's a heterosexual male? Like the the perception is homosexual men are the only men that are allowed to cry, right? Like, and that's not okay because the portrayal lends to that belief system in yourself. Maybe you're not being taught. Maybe there isn't a man in your life at home or somebody that is a trusted male, male figure in your life that says, yo, it's all right, dude, I got you, right? We're going to sit here and cry it out together, man. You know what I mean? 
and then we're gonna go do what we do. But it's a mentality, like it's a mentality. Because when you think about mentality, mental, right, a belief system within yourself in your own mind that certain things are socially accepted versus certain certain things that are not. So again, Gabrielle, in your in your research, in your understanding, right? Do you do you see that how how does masculinity come and play with that portrayal and that pressure? Do you think is is there something deeper that we're missing? And how can we can like convey that it's okay? Do you think it's ever going to be conveyed that it's okay to show your emotions? I think by even having conversations like this, it could help one person at least (laughs) that listens to it and I think that's how the shift happens is by talking about things or listening to people talk about things and I feel like that way about art in general when you listen to music or read poetry you can find forms of expression that relate to you and how you feel so Mm. I think what we consume can really affect how we are in the world yes I love that I love that what we consume, yo, because man, the consumption of these things, right? Like I have scholars actually tell me, why are you, why are you always smiling? Why are you always happy? Like you always laughing, kind of like what you spoke to. And I said, man, listen, every day is a day that when I'm breathing, that's a blessing. I have a reason to smile. I have a reason to be happy because I wouldn't wish my experiences in my life, the traumas that I experience on anybody. Right. And so I have a read like every day I'm, I'm I woke up this morning because I saw people that didn't wake up. Right. And so that could have been me. So I'm appreciative of life. So I have to express that. So if my my positivity and my expression of my joy for the for living, you know, uh, upsets you, then you got to take a look at yourself and ask yourself, why? Why does it upset you? Right. And so I just I have a zest for life because I saw people lose theirs. You know what I mean? And so I think that's the perspective for me. Like, I don't take nothing for granted, yo. Like, nothing. I tell my my wife and I tell my kids, I love them. You know why? And I think I told Jim this before, because I didn't have a chance to tell my mom or my dad that I loved them before they left this earth. You know what I'm saying? So that's something that's dear to me. You got to know that I love you, yo. So I'm going to tell you, because I don't know if I'm going to walk back in this room. You feel me? And so that's the thing. That's just perspective. That's my release. That's how, because that's something that I hold on to. I'm like, I'm like trapped by that, right? And it's okay. Like, it's okay. It's not like that I, I express, it, it helped me get to this place of expressing that, right? To say, yo, I love you, right? Have a good day. Be good. I'm gonna see you later. At least the last words they heard were something positive. You know what I mean? Because I think about that, damn. I didn't get a chance to tell my mom, yo. I didn't get a chance to tell my dad. Like, so I'm not gonna ever want that feeling on nobody else. So I express it, right? And so as we get ready to close our session, um, you know, what would you say as a strategy, right, to someone who's maybe on the on the brink of like, you know, breaking down? Like, how would you? What would you say to someone if they just bumped into Gabrielle and they heard, you know, they say, oh, you know, I just felt I could talk to you and I have this thing going on in my life. 
Like, what strategies would you give them to move forward out of that situation? Mm. <laughs> That's a good question. I feel like I'm not even qualified to really help anyway. Nope. <laughs> no way. So, probably just buy ice cream and sit down. And <laughs> <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> I feel like I usually deal with a lot of things with humor and just, I don't know. I don't usually talk about myself when I talk to people I usually yeah. try to let them guide the conversation yeah. and I think mm-hmm. when you just give space for someone they can usually open up if you just mm-hmm. try to listen more than speak mm-hmm. okay. so I think it depends on each person I guess yeah. the situation <laughs> no but that's 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 it. it you know you said all you needed to say and for everybody that's out there that's listening right like think about listening more I tell my scholars, like, yo, you got two ears and one mouth, yo, so t- twice as much here before you speak. Because we always want to throw our little, oh, well, this happened or that or this, you know, no, let me just express because like you said, Gabriella, like, I think the reality is sometimes people can come to their own realizations if you just let them talk. Mm-hmm. Right? Gemma, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think that a big myth that I went by for a long time was whenever people talked to me, what they wanted was like an answer or a solution or this. So I'd always be like listening to them, but also like trying to think about what I would do or like, what's my role in this situation or what should I do? And I totally agree with what Gabrielle was saying. If someone comes and, and talks to you or if someone comes and talks to me, you know, like they don't want to hear about me. They want to hear about, they want to, they want to work through something and I want to be heard. Yes. Yeah, exactly. People process things by talking about it and it's a tangible way to work through things. And sometimes saying it makes it real and having someone there just listening, um, I think shows immeasurable amount of support because they're sitting there and they're with you while you're processing something and they're giving their presence and, they're giving you space but it's not only space but like a safe space to have that that means of self-expression and you know without judgment or um by accepting what what people are saying to you is so important and I don't think that comes along that often in interactions so it's really important to foster that too definitely definitely well um Gabrielle man listen it's been a it's been a pleasure you know what I'm saying and and one of the things that I like, you know, I'm just about to put you on the spot because you've been doing really well, right? Uh, you've been re- doing amazing uh, with your professionalism as regards to, you know, mental health and men's mental health and just in general. So uh, I want you to give the people that's listening, the Coaches United family, a public service announcement, right? So tell them again where they can find you and tell them, like, leave them with something that is going to sit on their heart and on their mind to uh, start to find a better way to deal with their uh, pushback or push away or whatever it might be that's preventing them from, um, you know, expressing themselves. So uh, we're going to turn it over to you, Gabrielle, for your PSA announcement. Mm. <laughs> Words of wisdom from Gabrielle. There you go. <laughs> I don't have there many. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I think it's important to try to understand ourselves more and more because none of us really understand much about ourselves. And even when you do learn more, you still don't know as much as you'll know in the future. But I think 
trying to understand yourself can make you a better person to others and make you better in relationships and just make you feel more content and happy. So I think just trying to understand our behaviors is really important and can make all of us happier, I guess, <laughs> hopefully. No, no, that's beautiful. <laughs> so go ahead and tell them um, where they can find you again real quick. Sure. Um, uh, how do they find me? My Instagram, Carnosa, C-A-A-R-N-O-S-A. And anyone can message me anytime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there, there you go, right? Like, she's an open book. You know what I'm saying? She said, yo, hit me up. You know what I mean? Because it's all about conversation. But um, I thought, I, you know, again, man, just a beautiful session tonight. Uh, thinking about the perspective of, you know, mental health and, and the portrayal and the imagery and all the things that could lead to, you know, pressure and, you know, this stigma. Because I always say people, you know, hurt people, hurt people, but they don't intend to hurt them. It's just what they know, right? It's like they internalize that. Like you say, get to know yourself, understand who you are, right? Understand where that hurt comes from. So in the end, you could be the best human being that you can be because that's what we need. We need people to be better human beings, right, Gemma? Yeah, and I think too, what I got out of this conversation and I really like to believe about people is that, you know, everyone has the common experience of emotions. So I might've been sad because I, I don't know, of my situation, something happened to me, you know, maybe I lost my suitcase somewhere. So that might be sad, but then someone else might be sad for a different reason. Um, losing a loved one or having a hard time in school and, and stuff like that. So it's like everyone's experienced sadness to different levels and in different, from different sources. Um, but people have felt the way that you feel, or you can always connect with people on, on that because guaranteed they've felt happiness or sadness or stress in different ways. And so even if someone's talking to me about a situation that I feel like I can't relate to, you know, I can, I can resonate with that and try and be more empathetic by recognizing the moments I felt the same emotion or like a similar, a similar way. Um, but yeah, I, I appreciate Gabrielle, you sharing that on your platform through the magazine, but also um, your personal social media. And I think just, as a human being, you know, going out there and talking to people, you know, and your friends and stuff and understanding your impact as an individual and, and helping other people recognize theirs. I think that's such a beautiful thing. And um, I appreciate you on this podcast and in this world. And thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. It's been nice. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Well, with that being said, man, you know how we do it here at Court United. You know what I'm saying? Until next time, bro, just, you know, have a decency in your heart. You know what I mean? I'm, I don't even know what to say at that point, but man, we'll see y'all again <laughs> next time. We're Coaches United, ain't got time to be divided. Won't you get excited? Cause in the end, you'll be delighted that you took a listen. To the voices that you hear cause it's evident ain't no division in here cause we're coaches united ain't got time to be divided won't you get excited cause in the end you'll be delighted that you took a listen to the voices that you hear cause it's evident ain't no division in here see we want to thank you for tuning in to the coaches united podcast 
a podcast that has everyone in mind, where everyone's differences are embraced and celebrated, where we see you, we hear you, and most importantly, we stand with you. What matters to you, matters to us. Este podcast is para toda mi gente. Ahora más que nunca, debemos estar unidos. Y cuando estamos unidos, somos más fuertes. Gracias por estar aquí con nosotros. Las culturas unidas jamás serán vencidas. Stream the Cultures United podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, and other platforms. Find our website at www.culturesunited.org. Or reach out to us on Instagram at Cultures United Podcast and Twitter at The Unity Podcast. Send us your questions, comments, or perspective. We want to hear from you.